Please join me for today's Bible reading taken from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is God's word. Hey, Life Church. Um, great to be with you again this morning. I'm going to follow Pastor Dave's sermon challenging message from last week in Romans 8 um, with a look at what it might look like for you and I to experience godly contentment. Um, so we're landing in Philippians chapter 4 today, um, as you heard read to you. Um, now, in our home, uh, we don't have cable TV, uh, so we get whatever the antenna will give us, all right? So occasionally, like twice a year, I, I take a look at what's available. I'm really not a TV person. Um, the problem is that um, since um, it's kind of like free TV, uh, there's not a lot of quality there, all right? But there are a lot of infomercials. Now, there was a point in time in my life where I was greatly intrigued by infomercials. Um, I mean, this is confession time. Like, I really did watch them. I did. I watched them, all right? Now, uh, let's talk a minute about infomercials, all right? Uh, first of all, a question for you. What's the difference between an infomercial and a commercial? Um, an infomercial is really a long commercial, uh, typically between like 30 minutes to an hour. And that's what's so bad about it. Like, I hate commercials. Um, but... Yet I got hooked on infomercials, uh, several of them as a matter of fact. Now, infomercials got their start from a product line that was associated with a phrase years ago, uh, as seen on TV, all right? Now, a little bit of quick history on that. As seen on TV products, are uh, they actually started back in the 1950s, all right, with a guy named uh, Ron Popels. Uh, he was the founder of Ronco. Some of you older folks like me will remember that well, okay? Uh, but it's a company that is still inventing as seen on TV products to this very day. Now, um, besides the fact that some of these products do do amazing things and they can maybe make life a little bit easier and fun. It's, it's the pitchman that has played a, a huge role in the success of all these different kinds of as seen on TV products. And that first pitchman was, of course, a guy by the name of Ron Popels. Um, now, there are some of my favorites, okay? Uh, uh, these early products, I remember them in my own home because my mom actually uh, got drawn in to buying some of them. Um, and a lot of the early products were called choppers or slicers or that kind of a thing. Let me just give you a picture here of about four of them real quick, all right? And the idea behind this pitchman's uh, strategy was that you, there was always new and improved and it could get better and better and better and you needed to keep buying them so that you could be happy, all right? Uh, so uh, here's just one example of that process, all right? Uh, first came out the mint somatic, all right? 
Then the dialomatic. Now, the dialomatic was different in that you could dial to the, the thickness that you wanted to, to cut your vegetables and things. Then came the chopomatic. All right. We had to have something that could handle uh, nuts and things like that. So we had to chop, 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 chop. Um, and then the last one is the vegematic. Now, the vegematic was the queen of all matics, okay? Uh, it became so popular, as a matter of fact, that it actually landed a place in the Smithsonian Institute. So go figure that, all right? But here's the fact. The fact is that the pitchman, not the product, uh, was important, or like almost essential, uh, because it was the pitchman that convinced people that having this particular product would change their lives. It would give them like a, a, a better life. It, it, it was something that they needed. It would guarantee a better quality of life. Uh, these products could bring joy. They could bring happiness. They could bring fun. They could bring excitement. It's true. The salesman is an important part of the sale. A sharp salesman and a good product are a great combo. Believe me, I know. All right, let me tell you something. More than 15 years ago, on a spring day, uh, my doorbell rang. And I opened the door, and there stood a young salesman. Clean-cut college student, big smile, self-confident, could tell a good joke, make you laugh. All right, he was the kind of guy that uh, he would just make you think, like, wow, like, like someday... Um, this guy could actually be an associate pastor preaching in a local church, you know, preaching the good news of Jesus. That guy at my front door had a sales pitch. He had his product, which, by the way, was a great product, Cutco Knives. <laughs> uh, and after five minutes of salesmanship and savvy, he also had my wife. All right, hook line and sinker. And after a few more minutes, he had my money, a lot of it. I'm sure that on that particular spring of the year, um, I provided a lot of that young man's fishing bait and tackle. Well, let's have a little fun here, okay? All right. Um, if you could picture Pastor Dave selling uh, as seen on TV gadget. What would that look like? All right, what would be that kind of gadget that he would sell? Just think about that for a minute. Like if, if you could throw a savvy Cutco salesman, Dave Singraven, all right, back into the early 70s and you could outfit him with the perfect as seen on TV product. Hey, here's what that product would probably look like. Take a quick 30 seconds and look, okay? It's the fishing invention of the century, Popeil's Pocket Fisherman. Compact enough to fit glove compartment or your pocket. It's rod, reel, line, bobber, hook, the whole thing. Just flip up nylon rod and you can cast like a pro anywhere. Expert or amateur will love Pocket Fisherman and does it catch fish. Can you think of a more exciting gift for junior or dad at just $19.95? Wouldn't that be Pastor Day's gadget? <laughs> But think about the ad you just listened to, all right? Uh, the, the American audience has been brainwashed into believing a huge lie. And the lie is this, stuff is going to bring me the contentment I'm searching for. Such a huge lie of hell, all right? Now, how do people get us to buy this stuff? 
Well, I'm going to tell you how. You make someone unhappy with what they currently have. You make them discontented, all right? Uh, you just have to tap into that vein of discontent that courses through all of us, all of our lives, all right? And let's be honest, it doesn't take much digging into a person to discover a spring of discontentment. Uh, it's there, it's like weeds waiting to spring up. Charles Spurgeon, he's a famous pastor from, from London, um, and in his lifetime, he, he wrote about a lot of things, but he wrote about discontentment, and he wrote these words, all right? Um, just listen to what he says. He says, Ill weeds grow apace. Covetousness, discontent, and murmuring are as natural to man as thorns are to the soil. We need not sow thistles and brambles. They come up naturally enough because they are indigenous to earth. And so we need not teach men to complain. They complain fast enough without any education. But the precious things of the earth must be cultivated. If we would have wheat, we must plow and sow. If we want flowers, there must be the garden and all the gardeners care. Now, contentment is one of the flowers of heaven. And if we would have it, it must be cultivated. It will not grow in us by nature. It is the new nature alone that can produce it. And even then, we must be specially careful and watchful that we maintain and cultivate the grace which God has sown in us. Today, we're going to fight against this wellspring of discontent and instead ask God to help us to learn this secret to being content in every kind of circumstance. This morning, you heard it read from the Apostle Paul, who was the most influential leader in the earlier church, um, who actually started the church at Philippi. And he used this very teachable moment to pastor the early church here. Now, he's going to pass along a secret that he knows would be a blessing to his friends there in the early church. And what is this secret? It's the secret of how you and I can be content. Paul is going to teach us how to live contented lives. So let's look into this passage here, uh, kind of verse by verse for a few minutes, all right? He says in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. As Paul begins to wrap up his letter to the Philippians here in chapter 4, he wants to make sure that his friends know that he received the gift from them, all right? And so the church at Philippi had taken up this offering uh, to send to Paul, who was in prison, uh, because in those days, if you were in jail, you needed to pay for your own way, so to speak. Uh, so you relied on family and, and friends providing money for food so that you had uh, food to eat. And so Paul is actually thanking them here in this passage for the offering that they sent to him. Um, and so they had this chance to respond uh, to Paul by sending help to him. And Paul is is just genuinely thankful to them, all right? So I want to say this to you. I think it's a great, great place when we are part of a church like, like Life Church who would do the same kind of thing, all right? Um, what we see in, in reading about the New Testament church here is that if someone had a great need, it was a church family that often came in to help. Let me commend you, Life Church, right now for showing your concern to people in need in our church and in our community. 
Last year, you all helped people. Uh, you helped them by providing tens of thousands of dollars in assistance, not only through the church, but also through sister ministries. And so as Paul thanks the church at Philippi here in Philippians 4, I just want to say thank you to you, Life Church, because you've been a great and generous church and you have loved and you have cared for people in our community. And that's, that's just amazing. Thank you so much for that. But Paul continues on in verse 11 and he says, now that I'm, I, I'm speaking of being, not that I'm speaking of being in need, uh, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Let me read that to you again. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, at first glance, it might seem like Paul is being a little bit ungrateful here, uh, sort of like a thanks for the gift, not that I needed it, uh, but not really. He really is grateful here, and he just wants them to understand that he's praising the Lord here, but for them, not for the money. All right. He, he's praising the Lord that the church he started in Philippi is generous and caring and loving. And furthermore, he's using their gift to set up an, an important lesson for he wants uh, all of the followers of Jesus to learn. And that is this idea of, of godly contentment. All right. It's a really teachable moment here for Paul, and he wants them to understand. He wants them to, to really get it. He wants them to understand that it's possible for them to live this life of contentment. And I want to say the same thing for you today. It really is possible for you and I to learn contentment and to learn it as a lifestyle that we're living. The first thing I want you to understand here is that contentment is something that, that can, actually it must be learned, all right? It's, it's absolutely necessary that we learn this. Paul says this two times. He says, I have learned how to be content. And so here's the question that we must be asking ourselves here. Is this something I am learning? Is this something that is being uh, uh, worked out in my own life in this season? Am I learning to find godly contentment in the place that I am? And I would say that, that contentment is something not only that has to be learned, but it's also something that has to be reminded about, all right? It has to be reinforced because we can so easily, so quickly forget it. And that's the strategy of the evil pitchman, if you will, uh, the one who wants to sow discontentment in our hearts and in our minds, our enemy, all right? Uh, he wants very much to keep coming back with this again and again and again. But we learn something here as Paul writes in verse 12. He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And he finishes that, that passage up by saying, I can do all through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. And so I want you to hold on to that. Let's jump into this just a little bit and let's try to discover what Paul's secret to contentment is here. What must we learn to be content? The first step to being content, I believe, is to understand what contentment cannot be, all right? Where it cannot be found, really, all right? Contentment cannot be found in stuff, all right? Paul tells the Philippians, he has learned how to be content with whatever he had, whether it is almost nothing, or whether it is everything. Paul's level of contentment here is completely unfixed on stuff, all right? Even money. 
So, so now, by, by the way here, um, the big secret to understand here and, and, and one hard to believe is that we can be detached from stuff, all right, that we can be separate from it. It's hard for us, especially as Americans, all right, because Americans have more stuff now than ever in the history of the world. Um, do you think we're contented people? Let me read a little bit of research to you and then make your decision, all right? U.S. News and World Report surveyed Americans around the country and from all walks of life. And what they found out was that regardless of how much people made, all of them thought, all of them thought that they could be truly happy if only they made about twice as much. So the person who made $30,000 a year thought true contentment could be made or could be obtained if they made $60,000 a year. And likewise, the person who made $100,000 a year thought that true happiness would be only if they made $200,000 a year. And the magazine summed it up by saying, in other words, the American dream lies nearly twice the distance away from where people presently sit from what they actually have. The secret to being a content person starts with understanding that it's not about your paycheck, all right? It's not about your bank account. It's not about the car you're driving. It's not about the car you wish you were driving. And that's because money itself is amoral. It's neither good nor bad. It's not money. It's the love of money that the Bible says is the root of all kinds of evil. So please understand, uh, there, there isn't anything spiritual or unspiritual about either being poor or having riches. Paul says that there were times when he lived through both, times when he had money and times when he was broke, and neither of those circumstances affected his soul, which found contentment in Jesus, not his bank account, not his stuff, all right? I want to say to you today, I'm convinced that contentment can be yours, regardless of what you own or wish you own. All right, because contentment is the state of your spirit, of your soul. All right, and stuff is made of stuff. All right, and stuff can never satisfy, can never satisfy the soul and the spirit of a person. Now, here's an exercise uh, that I think is a good exercise for us to do today. All right, and so maybe uh, as as a family, you could do this after uh, the message today. So following the message, maybe you could do this and then you could pray for one another. All right, so in order to remind ourselves that stuff, especially new stuff, will not make a, a long-range dent in our co contentment factor. Uh, let's spend a little bit of time mentally thanking God, all right? Think about God and then thank God, all right? And this is an exercise in developing gratitude, all right? And, and it's developing gratitude for what we already have, what, what is ours, all right? And so what I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you to verbally kind of process here and so verbally express your thankfulness to God for what he's already given to you, all right? So you want to thank the Father, all right? So, so go around your house, all right? Go around your house and uh, look in all the rooms of your house. Make some mental notes as you're starting to go into each room, all right? Just begin to thank God, all right, for what you already have. Take a tour of every room in your house, all right, um, and thank God for what you already have there, all right? So you're going to thank him for that couch, and you're going to thank him for that refrigerator, and you're going to thank him for that bed. You're going to thank him for that deck on the back of the house that you can sit out in the sun uh, and, and, and just enjoy and relax in his presence. And then think about other things, 
all right? Thank the Lord for your job. <laughs> Thank the Lord for your pay. Interesting point here. Let me just make this as a side note. When John the Baptist, who was Jesus's cousin um, and the one who came before Jesus uh, to get the people ready to hear his message, you remember that from our series in John, um, there was a point in time when he was preaching to a group of people early on, and there happened to be soldiers there that were, that were listening to him, and they asked John, they said, what should we do to show that, you know, that, like that our lives are, are, are different now that, as we follow Jesus, um, and, and that we had turned from our old ways, you know, and that now we're following God. And John's response included several things, but at the end of that, that he said, be content with your pay. Now read that in Luke chapter three. Be content, all right? Be content with, with your pay. Now, what, what John the Baptist is not saying here, all right, is that he's not saying that you can't appeal uh, for higher wages. He's not saying that, that you can't point out your value to an employer. He's not saying that you can't work for equal pay for someone marginalized, all right? He's not saying any of those things at all. He's just saying, don't let your, your pay, don't let what you're earning or what you possess in some way make a difference and affect your contentment level, all right? Find your contentment first and then follow through, all right? Because stuff cannot make your soul happy. And that's Paul's first secret to living a contented life, all right? Stuff cannot give you a contented life. Paul's second secret to contentment is this. Contentment is not determined by your circumstances. And Pastor Dave talked a lot about circumstances last week from Romans 8, and I don't want to um, be redundant here or, or overplay that in any way at all because he did such a great job with it. But here's what I want you to know from me today. I have learned the secret um, in some ways of uh, not letting my circumstances get in. But I've also realized that I let circumstances affect me at other times, all right? And so I'm kind of back and forth here a little bit, all right? But I just wanna, I just wanna make today a reminder to you that Paul is not in desirable circumstances when he writes this letter to the church at Philippi, all right? He's sitting in jail, all right? Yet whether he's in jail, or on a beach, that'd be my choice. It doesn't matter because he doesn't allow his circumstances to bump into his contentment level, all right? Now, I've gotta be honest with you. It's easier for me to agree that stuff can't buy contentment. I, I think it's easier to believe that money isn't going to bring me contentment, all right? But, but this one, circumstances, is harder for me to believe, especially when the, 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 the ways of life um, deliver us kind of a, a, a bad situation or a bad circumstance. By, by this, I mean something like this, all right? It's really much harder for me um, it, it, to, to think in these terms that, that all of my circumstances will allow me to find contentment when I think about the difficulties of other people that I've seen or that I've experienced uh, uh, walking with them, all right? And, and for me, I, I think it's easier to believe um, that if I've got some things, it's, it's, it's going to help me. It's going to make me better. All right. Uh, for instance, um, I can't help but think that, that were I out of work, um, getting a job would drastically change my contentment in life. Uh, if I were sick, being healthy would dramatically change the contentment level of my life. 
Um, and and if, if I felt like my marriage was in trouble and I was having difficulty there, uh, a really healthy marriage would bring me great contentment. I think it would be silly to, dem- to, to just like totally dismiss the positive effect uh, that, that it would have on, on my state of being. Um, and and I, I think it would be even more foolish, though, for me to bank on these kinds of changes as having a lasting effect on my soul. All right. Yeah, some circumstances might make me feel a little better in the interim. They might bring me some level of contentment, but it is not eternal. And I think it's worth hearing Paul out here. I I think he understands a thing or two about fluctuating circumstances of life. I mean, check out some of Paul's backstory here. He writes uh, some pages of autobiography in the second letter that he writes to the Corinthian church. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says this. He says, we patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of all kinds. We've been beaten. We've been put in prison. We faced angry mobs. We worked through exhaustion. We've endured sleepless nights. We've gone without food. And he doesn't stop there. You get down to, to chapter 11 and he says five times The Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. He keeps going on. He says, I spent a whole night and a day adrift in the sea. He says, I've traveled many long journeys. I've faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. He says, I faced dangers from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. He goes, I faced dangers in cities. I faced dangers in deserts. I faced dangers on the seas. He says, I faced dangers from men who claim to be believers, but they're not. And he finishes it up by kind of saying, I've worked hard and long. I've endured many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and I've often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Man, that one would make me totally discontented right there, all right? And how many of you know that when you don't get the food you want a lot of times, you're just grumpy? And how many times have you heard someone in your house say, I don't want that for supper? Because we're not content, we're we're not filled with, with gratitude in those places. Here's the bottom line. I think we all can agree, all right? We don't wanna be uh, the Apostle Paul's companion. But here's what we do want, here's what we need, and that is for the words of Paul to sink deep in our hearts so that he can teach us the contented life. Because if he could do it in all of these circumstances I just read to you, then so can we. I don't know what all you're going through right now. Maybe maybe it's life and death for you in some situations. I, I, I don't know. Um, so. The question might be for some of us, is it okay then for me to pray for relief? Do I get to pray and ask God to help me out of this? Absolutely. Of course we do. Sometimes God brings relief in a change of adverse conditions or circumstances, all right? God brings amazing answers into our lives. He brings unbelievable blessings and we should pray. We should ask. But knowing the answer is not in more stuff or in a temporary shift of our circumstances. Ultimately, we cannot find our contentment. We cannot find our satisfaction, all right? Uh, Knowing even that we're in seasons of great stress here now, all right? Um, We can't find it in stuff and in conditions and in circumstances. We find it in knowing this, that there is a God who loves us. He has a plan for our lives. He's working that plan out on a scale that we cannot even fathom, all right? And that all that he is doing is redeeming and restoring this messed up world that we're living in. So we're part of his plan. 
He knows our days. He sees and understands and he strengthens and he supports and we can trust him to govern and guide our lives. So number one, contentment cannot be found in stuff. Number two, contentment is not determined by our circumstances. And number three, what we need to learn is that contentment is nurtured only through a relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So where does contentment come from? It comes from a thorough understanding of your status with God. Contentment is knowing that you belong to him, that he loves you, that he likes you, all right? That, that he is all powerful and he knows you and he knows your situation and he, and he has promises that you can trust in. You can trust in him, all right? Our status changes when we place our faith in Jesus and when we move into a, a, a world of being forgiven, uh, of knowing this great friend Jesus, of being adopted into this family. God is our Father. And so contentment comes from knowing God as Father through the work of the cross, all right? And, and that He knows what He is doing in our lives and that we can trust Him with all of it. It is in Jesus where our soul finds rest and comfort and, and, and protection and purpose and, and hope and future and family. It's all there in Jesus. And we must have, we just have to be able to declare as Paul did, I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. That word strengthen here means to infuse with power. The Lord infuses us with the power we need to live our lives above the drag of stuff and circumstances, all right? And, and we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. That, that's already in Christ, all right? We have it. And true contentment in God is God strengthening us uh, to be satisfied in any and every situation and content in the midst of every problem, no matter how tough and complex they get. And the greatest deception of the enemy is to convince us that Jesus is not enough, that we, that we, that we need more, all right? That we, we need something, anything more than Jesus, that, that we can't be content, content until we have something else. Contentment, friends, has to be nurtured it's not going to happen on its own. You're not going to just stumble into it, all right? It's, it's not going to be um, contended for and cultivated unless you put forth the, the effort and the energy and the time and the dedication to it. So I wanna encourage you to cultivate it. I want, you to, I want to encourage you to contend for it, to fight for it, if you will, all right? To fight what the enemy is trying to do. Think about what, what it means for you to do what Spurgeon is talking about, all right? What would it mean for you, like a, like a gardener does to a flower, nurture and, and foster contentment in your life? What would that look like? Uh, what, let me ask you some questions right now. Let me just probe a little bit here. Let me just ask you some questions. So just prayerfully listen and consider, all right? Who are the groups of people that actually encourage you towards contentment? Who are those individuals or those groups who, who move you in that direction? What are the activities that you're involved in, that you are involved in, that, that help foster and nurture contentment in your life? Do them. 
Stay a part of those kinds of activities, all right? What are the scenes, the, the environments that help you nurture contentment? Get there. Place yourself in those places, all right? What would it look like for you to uh, posture your heart in ways and, and set your heart and your mind upon things that, that you know will nurture contentment in your life? Think about it and do it. And then on the flip side of that, what are the things that draw you away from contented posture of heart? What are the things that, that fuel your discontent? What are the things that affect you and, and make you so prone to discontentment? And who are the people who tend to push you away from contentment? Who are the people in your life who cause you to be more discontented, who cause you to be more uh, allured to put your hope in other things to satisfy you, and, and who cause you and collude with you to, to have a heart of comparison? Maybe you don't need to be around those people. I know, I know. Some, some of you can't help but be around some of those people because you work with them or they're your family. I know that there are many well-meaning people um, in your life who, who will give you the worst, most anti-biblical counsel in, in all things. I, I, I know that, all right? And I know that these people are not helping you to nurture contentment. And I know it's not easy for you to be able to say, well, I'm just going to get away from those types of people. I understand that. Um, but, but just think about that. I mean, even think about like what kind of movies, what kind of television programs, what kind of magazines, what kind of websites, uh, what kind of music throws a, a, a few on that fire of discontentment and ask yourself the question, why would I expose myself to that? Let's learn contentment. Let's learn that contentment is only in Christ. Let's learn that we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're all sufficient. Thank you that you've given us everything we need for life and godliness through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that we don't have to be driven by the culture of this world. Thank you, Father, that the stuff in this world can lose its, its, its uh, glow. It can lose its dimness. It can lose its attraction. It can lose its attachment. And so we pray that everything short of Christ pales in comparison to the great knowledge of knowing our Savior. We pray, Father, that we are capable and we are convinced and we, that we are living out in action the reality that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. God, bless your church today. Bless us to be a people, Lord, who put our trust in Jesus alone. Help us to be a church, Lord, who gives nothing to the, to the footholds of the enemy, Lord, and that we are released from the need for stuff and the desire for unique and special circumstances. God, help us to live in the place that you have put us with purpose and with destiny and with a sense that you are governing our lives. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I love you like church, and I just want to encourage you. Take a, take a little intentionality today to develop and to, and to cultivate gratitude. Go on that gratitude tour with your family through your house and then pray for each other. Amen.